0: Our Father in heaven, today we want to thank you for the opportunity and the privilege to learn more about preaching. And particularly, we want to zero in on the, on the conclusion of a good sermon. That would be the appeal for people to accept Christ, to accept Bible truth. And we pray your blessing as we open this class. I pray that our time will have been well spent here today and that Jesus will receive the honor and glory for that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, when we were in Romania uh, on one of our mission excursions, they, they were thrilled to have us there because we had not been scheduled to come to this particular church. It was in an out-of-the-way place, and it was difficult getting there in a dacha we used to say the dacha's gotcha. That was their automobile in Romania. And as we traveled those bumpy roads, we called it the Valley of Ha! Because the car would go up and it would go down and it would bounce us all around. And and we finally got to uh, the, the little place called Fontanelli. And when we got there... Uh, we had a meeting, the meeting would start about 7 o'clock, we'd already had an earlier meeting at the at the uh, city uh, site, was, uh, the city site was in Bistrita? about 100,000 people there, and there were several hundred people that arrived for that meeting, and that wasn't publicized either. Uh, in a, it, it seems like a series of miracles looking back, because we were picked up from the uh, Bucharest International Airport, uh, uh, Anatani Field, or something like that it's called. And one of the people that was there to pick us up was my translator. Uh, I didn't know he would be my translator. They had paid him to come to our series of meetings two years prior to this. Uh, we had gone there, he was 18 years of age. His uh, mom wanted him to come to the evangelistic series, and so they bribed him, literally, they paid him in order to get him to come. Now, we had about 25 meetings. He came to four. And I don't know what that says about my preaching at the time, but he quit coming after four meetings, even though he was being paid. So, uh, that how about that for a success story? And here I am teaching this class, you know? Anyway, so... uh he was the first to greet us when we came back two years later. And he translated 61 presentations for me over the next six and a half weeks. Everything I said in English, he said in Romanian. And it was a wonderful time. And I'll tell you more of the story a little bit later. But we got to our, class, we got to our meeting site in the city and they'd done no preparation and there were hundreds that showed up. Isn't that a miracle? They had two, three days to put posters on uh, telephone posts in town. And then we went to Fontanelli, And there was absolutely no preparation for that except word of mouth one day. And the upstairs to that church, it was a house church, was full of people. And... Not only that, not only was it full, but at the end of that meeting, they fed us a supper. I usually don't like to eat late at night, but it was all prepared. It was all made. It was a four-course meal. It was salad, soup, entree, probably had cabbage rolls, if you're familiar with Romania. And then they had like a cake dessert. It was all delicious. We weren't even hardly hungry, but we ate it out of courtesy and it was delicious food and we appreciated it so much. And there was a woman that seemed anxious to talk to us and she said this and I will never forget it and I don't even tell the story very often. This is probably the third time in the last 25 years that I've shared this story. But she said to us, that her son had passed away, the head elder of that church, the month before we arrived. He was 32 years of age. His wife was there. He had two young children, two daughters. I have two daughters. They're both married to pastors. And so we heard the heart-wrenching story about how he had gotten sick. The whole town had showed up for his funeral service. And she said she had had a dream weeks before our arrival. And there was an angel that told her that the Lord was going to send them comfort in their affliction. And the ones who would bring the comfort were Americans. And they were going to bring you comfort in the hour of your affliction. And she she looked at us and she said, you are the very ones I saw in my dream. And uh, that was... A richly rewarding experience. I wish I could tell you more about Fontanelli. But I want to let you know, going into this, that God has us on a mission. I do believe what Pastor Sliger has been teaching us in the early morning service, that we are in a war. This is warfare, and we're not civilians. This is serious business. And if the Lord of Heaven cared so much about us, back there in 1995 to send an angel to tell a dear saint in a church in the outback of Romania with 10 active members. But they filled their little church with people. There were 150 people there. The whole town showed up. If he cared so much about them and us to do that, he cares about you. He wants to work through you. He has a message He can give through you. Amen? Amen. Well, let's go to this uh, material. The promise is given in the book of Isaiah 55 and verse 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I send it. God does not sponsor flops. Your greatest failure may be God's greatest success. It's not a test to preach to 20,000 people, Mark Finley has said. It is a test to preach to three people. It's not a test to preach to 10,000 people. He has said, if you want to preach to 10,000, preach to seven like it is 10,000. It's not a computer that we need more of. I use computer, but, you know, I've had times when my computer goes down and I just tell the people, we still have the Bible. Amen? Amen. Your message has to be Bible-based and not computer-based. And I praise God for computers, but you don't have to have one to be a successful preacher of the gospel. It's not the computer we need more of. We're not called to success, but to faithfulness to Jesus Christ. We need more of Christ, and we can use more of Christ in our messages, too. I have a friend right now. I'm giving him Bible studies. He's not a Seventh-day Adventist. It's part of our personal witnessing, where I'm an an elder of our local church. And he said to me, he says, You Adventists, I think you have it right. I just want to hear more about Jesus And I texted him today, and he's praying for me, and he's praying for this class on decisions. Isn't that wonderful? I know he is. And what he said is that we need Christ. I believe we need Christ. Ellen White said we need Christ. She said if we're not preaching Christ in our messages, this is out of gospel workers, uh, about in around pages 140 to 160, read the whole section, it's all very good. She said we're doing the work like Cain did his sacrifices. We're bringing impressive looking fruit, but we're not bringing the Lamb of God to the people. We need the Lamb of God. Amen? Amen. We have a challenge before us. In America, among all Christian churches, one church closes every day on average. So... Christian churches today are in trouble. Sometimes you might be tempted to think that the Seventh-day Adventist church, even your local church, is in trouble as far as is it going to be alive five years from now? Is it going to be alive ten years from now? But in the Christian community, if you take all Christian churches in America, one will close today, another will close tomorrow, and the day after that, all year long. And so we, as Christians, are in a crisis. And among Seventh-day Adventists, we could be doing better too. But we serve a God who's going to bring this church to triumph. Steve, did you have a question?
1: Well, well I, I, I was thinking about what you were saying. I mean mm-hmm. it happened to a church. Um, and in a lot of it, um, a, a lot of people are, are going against God through their churches. And, and it's driving the church people away, and a lot yeah. of it's to youth. If the youth don't yeah. keep coming, the church ain't going to survive.
0: Yeah, and and we've tried to cater to youth by doing cool church. Uh, uh, this is the this is the comment on that. As one church on average closes its doors in America every day, right now we are seeing this to be true of the American church. Um, as well. Uh, it is an increasingly embarrassing truth. That said, being relevant and making an impact, this uh, Baptist, or uh, the, the preacher here making this comment, it was from the LifeBridge Christian Center in Texas, so he was not a Seventh-day Adventist, but it's interesting what he said. He said, we've tried being relevant, we've tried to be cool. He said, we have learned and have done cool church. Obviously, at this point, cool is not Enough! Uh, The Christian church in America and the Adventist church in America uh, tends to be rather older. Uh, In the U.S., among religious groups, the Pew Research people decided they would research and they would find out what churches in America were the oldest and what churches in America are the youngest. And I was pleasantly surprised. This research was printed in July of 2016. So it's among the latest of the research on how old is the Christian church in America. And I know, and I have the research on that as well, that says that our, the average age among Adventists in 2003 was 58. Mm-hmm. And there is a claim, and it's probably based on research as well, that the average age of the Adventist church in America now is 62. And I've even heard a claim that the average age of the Adventist church in America is 66. I don't know about that, and I haven't seen the research on that. I've seen the research on 2003, and uh, that's what they told us when I was going through my demon project. But this is interesting. Uh, I, I haven't read the full paper on this, but Pew Research claims that the Adventist church in North America is actually one of the youngest Christian churches in, in the United States. That the Adventist church here is age of 45, I believe it's 45 or is it 46 years of age, and that will be on this sheet here. Here we are. Seventh Day Adventists. Our average age is 45, according to Pew Research. Uh, The Mormons, 43 average age. Orthodox Christians, 40. That was a surprise to me. And then the others are non-Christian groups like Buddhist, agnostic, atheists, Muslim, Hindu. Um, So among all Christian churches, according to Pew Research, Seventh-day Adventists are among the youngest. And we have a lot of material here. Can, it, it does it need to wait or can it wait or? Yeah, okay. Um, why should we include appeals with every sermon that we preach? Well, I think it's obvious. We'll get more decisions for Christ. That's my one liner. We'll get more decisions for Christ if you make more appeals. It makes sense. I worked on a dissertation from Andrews. I'll I'll have it. You can look at it. Um, I'll, I'll bring it tomorrow. The numbers present the church, the numbers that you're going to see next on your graph, they're on the graph in front of you, represent a challenging, disturbing reality for every Adventist in Michigan. There are 250 who are not. Most of them have no church affiliation. The following graph, it's on your front page, illustrates that for us. This is from uh, thearda.com, and it gives the look of Michigan religion in 2010. uh, Seventh-day Adventists, including Michigan and Lake Region Conference people within the state of Michigan, represent 40,503 people at that time. The largest segment, though, of Michigan is unchurched, nearly 6 million people, 5.7 million at that time. Uh, at the time of the last census, did not claim any church affiliation. So to me, that's a challenge, but it's a massive opportunity. There are nearly six million people in this state don't go to church. I mean, they, they don't have any affiliation at all. Uh, the largest group, of course, is our Roman Catholic friends, 1.7 million of them, uh, And so you can read it through at your leisure. What is prophetic preaching? It proclaims a biblical challenge to culturally ingrained lifestyles that enslave people in bondage, keeping them from accepting Christ and distinctive Bible beliefs. We as Seventh-day Adventists believe the Bible teaches distinctive truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the preaching style that I call prophetic preaching speaks biblical truth to power belief systems and cultures that oppose the spiritual advancement of anyone, whether they are rich or poor. The idea of prophetic preaching in the secular community and among many seminarians is a a preaching that is more inclined toward social gospel. And social gospel has its place. But it would be something like having an Adventist church that ran a community service center and praised the Lord for them, but did not even give out any literature or necessarily identify itself as Christian at all. They just cared to give out food and clothing. Is that our mission in and of itself? No, it's not. We have a mission in the community service centers, or when we give a health class, to reach a person's heart for Christ. And if we're just doing social gospel, we're not fulfilling the gospel commission. But in the popular literature, prophetic preaching is preaching a social gospel more on that order, more on the order of civil rights for all people, etc. That's not what I'm saying here. I believe as Seventh-day Adventists, we preach a prophetic message, and it ought to reach the heart, and we ought to also care about people's Uh, lifestyles and their quality of life in the context of Scripture. Personal and public evangelism are both important, but neither one succeeds without the other. So the statistics I shared with you tell me that we need to regain our purpose through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you want to be a good preacher, and maybe some of you are, are preaching on a regular basis in your church. Maybe some of you are going to be preaching at the Jesus on Prophecy series coming up September 23. And if that is the case or if that's your desire, I want to just share with you that you can do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. If, you, if the Lord has laid that upon your heart, you can be an effective messenger through the power of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, none of us can do anything. We need to refocus as a church and be that last generation on earth ready for the coming of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We need, this world needs Jesus to come. They may not realize it, but they need Jesus to come. So, we've covered the numbers. Let's go to another comment here. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. When you call people to a decision, there's a certain level of uncomfort to the person that's calling the other person to make a decision. Have you noticed that? Maybe you've tried to sell something. Now, it's interesting what you can learn from people who make their living from selling things. Now, I don't want to use the terminology that we're selling Christ, but I want to be as anxious and determined and winnable toward the people that I witness to as the person that comes selling their product. Uh, I want to be effective for Jesus. And so we can learn some things from people, their money, their, what they make for their food on their table is how effective they are in, in sales. So some of this you can learn from people that sell things door to door, whatever it might be. Yes?
1: Um, on that note, um, when, when you want, want you don't want really want to, to sell Christ? You want him to desire Christ?
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I wouldn't. Uh, I don't feel real comfortable with the terminology "sell," but if that's what it takes, yeah, like I, I I would there. I would do it uh, because they uh, you cannot buy your salvation, obviously. Yeah. You but people need your people need yeah yeah you want it begins with desire. Jesus said, "If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself." And take up his cross and follow me, surely?
1: But one of the biggest things to me is you're giving people hope. Because this world doesn't have nothing much to hope for. Okay.
0: Yeah. You have to give them hope. You have to give them hope. Yeah, that's right. That's good. I like that. Uh we'll watch a clip of this man, uh I believe tomorrow life-changing preaching. Ministry Magazine is published by the Seventh-day Adventist Church. It was an interview with Haddon Robinson. He wrote wrote the book Biblical Preaching. Very effective communicator, but we'll save that for tomorrow. There's five reasons that small churches don't grow. Uh, This is a massive research. Again, it was published in growchurch.net. You might be able to Identify with some of it I believe it's in your in your notes on your page here I keep giving my page away uh, but here we go a welcoming church is more of an attitude than a disposition it's an outward focus rather than an inward focus it's about serving rather than being served um, the first the first note it's too high up on the page for you to see but small churches don't grow when visitors don't feel welcome well, you can read it way up in here. There, you, did you read that? Okay. Secondly, churches stay small when the pastor does everything. Are you letting the pastor do everything? <laughs> well, We'll have another class period just you and I afterward. <laughs> no, that's not his job. The, the pastor should not think that he's the do-all for everything. And uh, it's a big enough work. Yeah, Members need to be involved. Point number three, small churches stay small because the preaching could be better. And we're not here to criticize your pastor. We're here to improve preaching and you can help with that. And they ask people, Reasons for attending church or other place of worship. Is each of the following a major factor, they asked, a minor factor or not a factor in why you attend church or a place of worship? The first two categories as to why people choose to come to church is sermons or talks that teach you more about Scripture, 76% Seventy 76% of those in the uh, survey, and there were more questions than what you see here. These are just the top, top responses. Said so that's a major factor. We go to church because of the sermons that teach me about Scripture. Secondly, 75% of respondents, nearly identical, said sermons are lectures that help you connect religion to your own life. So people tend to go to churches where they feel they're learning about Scripture and it's practical to their own life. Very important point. So when we are preaching, we want to bring it. We want to give Jesus every opportunity to work through us, the Holy Spirit to work through us. We want to be well prepared and we want people to go away blessed. As communicators of the greatest message ever, we must be students of communication. The fourth reason small churches stay small and we don't want our small churches to stay small amen small churches stagnate when people are not giving generously if they don't give generously their churches stagnate and point number 5 small churches stay small without small groups we have built in small groups in sabbath school And we could talk about that, but we're not going to. I brought it up only because I thought it was interesting that people tend to go to church where they feel blessed when they hear that sermon. And when people feel like they're being fed from the Word of God and it's practical to their life, that's the first two reasons why people choose to go to church. That's why this class is relevant. Okay. And we want to be vulnerable when we preach. It doesn't mean that you say everything. It doesn't mean that you have to tell everything you know about yourself that's bad to connect with people or whatever like that. But you want to be real. and You want to be truthful. And you want people to be able to gather hope because they can sense that you can identify with where they're at in their own personal experience and that you have a compassionate heart. This was illustrated not long ago in a bakery. This man decided, you know what, I love baking things, and uh, but he was getting no business. And so his son decided to be vulnerable enough to advertise about his father's need in this new bakery. And uh, you have to be real on social media, so... This was the quote. It was picked up by Inc.com. This is the one people get wrong by far the most. What made Billy's tweet, it was just a tweet about his dad's new bakery. And as you can tell in the first picture, he had all this stuff baked up and no one was coming. No one was walking through the door. So his son sends out a tweet and says, my dad loves baking for people and no one's coming to his bakery and, you know, So anyway, people read that tweet and they sensed the earnestness. It was compelling about a donut shop. He wasn't simply tweeting out a link or or a promotion. The tweet seemed incredibly honest and genuine, which is why Twitter picked it up. And people started coming into that bakery shop here about three months ago and selling out bake goods day by day. So we can be vulnerable. We don't have to hold ourselves up on a pedestal. Being vulnerable is a connection that people very much appreciate. And when our hearts are touched, people's hearts can be touched by what we say. And that makes the appeal appealing to the hearer. Another person that was quite vulnerable and it's gone virals. They say on the internet, this man, Doctor Rick Rigsby, from uh, or he was from until recently Texas A and M University. He gave a graduation speech, and when we're giving sermons, we're giving speeches for Jesus, Amen. But it was very compelling because it was a personal story, and uh, it's just an amazing. It's about nine minutes long. It, it is one of the most incredible things you'll ever hear. It's not particularly a sermon, but he gives a compelling life story about his dad. And you will be inspired if you care to look it up, uh, and I think it's, maybe it's in the notes, maybe it's not, okay. There's 10 things that take talent, not a lot of talent, but you get 100% respect for it. And I I just have a burden about this. I believe we're going to be a preacher that we need to uh, be the best that we can be. Being on time, work ethic, effort, body language, energy, attitude, passion, being coachable, doing extra and being prepared. All those things are important for a servant of God. And it makes a lot of sense to me. If you want people to respect you, be on time. People say, oh, don't worry about it, it's fine. You are five minutes late. I've been five minutes late sometimes too. You know what? What they're not telling you is, I don't like that when you do that to me. And when you're the preacher, you have to get there on time. I wish my preacher who was my mentor when I was first in ministry had told me a lot of other things, but I had him for one month He was to be my senior pastor that year. And he told me a couple things that I can tell you that I've practiced ever since. He said, When you go to a funeral for a funeral service and you're preaching for that, you better get there a half hour early or you are late. And when I had interns working with me, I would say, You're late. I consider you late to this funeral if you're 29 minutes early. You're late. You better be there a good half hour early or more, or your senior pastor will think you are late. That's what I told him. And another thing he told me is write out word for word everything you're going to say at a funeral. And so when I'm at a funeral service, there's are some of my best sermons because for the last 40 years I've been writing out word for word what I'm going to say. They're original. But this makes so much sense to me. Your credibility can be shot if you're not on time or if people sense that your work ethic isn't up to their work ethic. if You're not putting effort into it, etc. Yes, Steve. I don't see knowledge of the Bible. This, uh, I couldn't even tell you where this originated. But as a pastor, of course, that would be, yeah, Jesus, knowledge of the Bible. Obviously, yeah. Thank you. Matthew 7, 28 and 29, in speaking about Jesus, he said, and it said, And so it was when Jesus ended these sayings that the people, they were amazed, weren't they? They were amazed as preaching. It was something different than what they were used to. It was something they could identify with. For he was teaching them as one having authority And not as the scribes. Jesus was one who said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And they went away from his messages saying that no man ever spoke like this man speaks. No man ever spoke like this. So if you want to give a good appeal, People need to respect you and you need to be speaking like no other person has ever spoke that they've heard. And the world has empty platitudes and promises, but you have something to go on. You have the Bible to preach. You have the Holy Spirit directing your life. You have a devotional experience with Jesus in the morning. You can fill up with the Lord's Word and through the power of the Holy Spirit, God can make you an excellent communicator of Bible truth. Because some of the hardest things people will face in their life is making a good decision. It's one of the hardest things. Whoever said it, we don't know. But he said decisions are the hardest thing to make, especially when it is a choice between where you should be and the Holy Spirit will speak to their hearts. It's not actually up to you to convert anybody. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. But it's difficult. That's why we need the Spirit. It's a difficult thing. One of the hardest things in life, a choice between where you should be and where you want to be. It's not always the same. It's illustrated in the book Sons and Daughters of God, page 210 by Ellen White. She said, Satan will permit those to have a degree of rest who are bound as slaves to his chariot. So the devil will somewhat, somewhat leave a person alone if they're just captive to him. For they are are his willing captives. But his enmity is aroused when the message of mercy reaches his bond slaves and they seek to wrench themselves away from his power that they may follow the true shepherd. The conflict between the soul and Satan begins when the captive begins to tug at the chain and longs to be free. So we're entering into warfare when we preach and when we give appeals, and there's people who are captive in chains, and many of these people are tugging at the chain and longing to be free. And our message in any appeal is to let the people come as they are. You don't have to preach a message. You have to be perfect before you come to Jesus. You have to stop being a sinner before you come to Jesus. Let them come to Jesus just the way they are. And Jesus will take care of all these other things. There's a comment in regard to that. I think it's about page 47 in the book Steps to Christ. You know, we're not to make repentance and conversion uh, an obstacle between the sinner and Christ. That they They have to come just as they are, right? The demoniac came just as he was. Did he leave the same? No, he was changed by Christ. So we say, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. The sinner comes as they are to Christ. You give the invitation. And in their sinful condition, they realize that Jesus can set them free. They cannot set themselves free by pulling at the chain. I've tried to pull at the chain sometimes. I tried to set myself free at times. It doesn't work. It comes from Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit first.
1: Only Jesus can break those chains.
0: Yeah, only Jesus can break the chains. No one else. also
1: preach that no man is free from sin? Because all, all have
0: all have sin. Come short of the glory of God. We all need a Savior, and we can't save ourselves. Surely.
1: And one thing that we have seen different times through the years is someone up front telling people that, uh, they sh- the way they should be dressing and the what what they should be wearing and what they should not be wearing. And, and it's turned people away. You know, they talk about they shouldn't be wearing no jewelry and, and your skirts are too short and you're wearing grubby clothes. To me, I'm glad they're there.
0: Yeah, I, I rejoice to see sinners come to church. Yeah. There's a time and a place for people to be approached uh, in regard to the standards of our church. I believe in them by the grace of God, I live by them and surrender my life and my will to Jesus on the, in those aspects of my life every day.
1: Most people aren't at that
0: point, And some people are not at that point. And we need to be careful. You have to have change in your pocket. You have to have credibility before you go on to some of the deep things. Like I don't, It's similar to preaching the mark of the beast maybe on night three of your evangelistic meeting. Uh, it might work for some people to do that. But you have to consider your audience. Are they ready for that? You know, you have to have some credibility with people first. Um, someone asks, "What is wrong with an altar call or a compelling gospel invitation?" And the author of this particular blog spot, he's a Calvinist, or he was examining Calvinism, and they're wonderful people. <coughs> But a Calvinist basically believes you're either predestined for heaven or you're not. And so it does somewhat hinder, you understand, the giving of gospel appeals. And there's somewhat of a contention going back and forth among faithful Calvinists. Well, do we give appeals or not? Because everybody in their theology is destined one way or the other already, you see. The decision's been made for you before you were born. So why give an appeal? And some say, we don't give appeals at our church. And others are saying, well, you give an appeal because you're serving Christ. And who are you to to know what he's decided anyway? But the author of this particular article said that there's nothing wrong with giving appeals. And my friends, Jesus, in Adventist theology, he is destined all of us for salvation. He's not willing that any should perish. If anyone perishes, it is their own responsibility. We believe that Jesus died for everybody, that he died for every sin ever committed. We can give people that hope, and they can actually make a decision that's a life or death decision. God has made a decision on their behalf and given them free will to make a decision in regard to that. And so Ellen White says every discourse. The sinner's only refuge, Jesus Christ, should be presented before them, and make we should make earnest appeals that will reach their hearts.
1: even not Jesus? Actually, didn't actually appeals in the Bible that actually tell stories about like Mary, um, how, how she was a, she was a prostitute and she was she was giving her own body unwedly, and she was saved. That's an appeal.
0: Yeah, the Bible is full of appeals yeah, like that.
1: And, and those are the stories you would use to preach to such an audience.
0: You can very. We have a section, a couple days, who preach powerful biblical appeals. And we'll touch on some of this uh, stuff when we, go, when we go there, Dan. When I,
1: was, when I accepted Christ in my heart, I was grateful that there was an appeal.
0: You were grateful for the appeal. I accepted Christ in an evangelistic series. It was an appeal. And I was 12 years old. And the pastor, he had been at my house. He had visited me. He had some credibility. You can't always get away with this. But the appeal was made to go forward. And I wasn't going forward. And the Spirit of God led the pastor the Lansing Church, a church I later pastored, but Elder Fall came. He sat down next to me. He asked if I would like to go up front with him. And I said, sure, I, I can do anything if the pastor's walking beside me. You know, so I went up front. I accepted Christ as my Savior. I accepted the Adventist truth. And it was during an appeal that the evangelist made. The words of Christ, this is Gospel Workers 150, it's not in your notes. The words of Christ were of sharp arrows which went to the mark and wounded the hearts of his hearers every time he addressed the people. Whether his audience was large or small, his words took saving effect upon the soul of someone. No message that fell from his lips was lost. Every word he spoke placed a new responsibility upon those who heard. And today, the ministers who in sincerity are giving the last message of mercy to the world, relying on, God's, on God for strength, need not fear that their efforts will be in vain." Jesus' first discourse began with a proclamation. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at at hand. We have some uh, blanks, and you may find that in there. But not everything is on two pages. Repentance and faith were the two demands Jesus placed upon his hearers, Every listener was called upon to respond in this twofold manner, repentance and faith. He placed those demands, the writer said, upon his hearers. Evangelistic preaching, in fact, impresses upon unbelievers the divine imperative to repent and believe. That's what makes it an evangelistic message, repent and believe. Mark Finley said this, and I thought it was uh, very, very worthwhile. He said, be faithful in being, focus on being what God wants you to be. It is not so much what God is doing for you, and he's doing a lot for us. Amen? Amen? Has God done a lot for you? He's done a lot for everybody. It is what God is doing to you that is most important. Now, God has done a lot for everybody. But what is he doing in your heart? What is he doing to you? How is your life being changed by Jesus day by day? What he's doing to you is most important. That would indicate that you have made a choice yourself for Jesus Christ. Soul winning is not so much the method. And there's proper methods. And I think it's good to learn all we can about proper methodology But it's more so your identity. Who are you identifying with? Who are you? It is something I do because it is who I am, he said. He said, I'm doing evangelism because that's who I am. I'm not drawing a paycheck any longer from the denomination, but it is who I am. I continue to do what I've always done. There's a gospel challenge here, and I thought since I'm talking with uh, potential preachers and preachers of the gospel in your local churches or wherever the Lord has been leading you to preach, I wanted to encourage you, and I would love if you would encourage your, your local pastor to call for some kind of a decision for Jesus every single time that they give a message. And this gospel challenge here that... I've highlighted is actually a challenge among non-Adventists. And I think, wow, the rocks are crying out, right? Uh, they're asking for 20,000 pastors to make an appeal of some sort every Sunday. And I thought, as Seventh-day Adventists, we could do that. We can call people to Jesus as well as anybody, Amen. And we can call people to make decisions for the truth as it is in Jesus. And so I did a little bit of calculation. This is the size, the various size of churches in, in the Michigan conference. And uh, we're going to move on, though, just for the moment. There's 184 churches in this state times 52 weeks per year. And I just did the math if in every church that hears a sermon every week in this next year a call would be made for salvation for one of our bible truths for the true church whatever if every single sabbath a call for decision was being made by card by hands by by coming forward whatever the case might be 9 9000 568 decisions for Christ would be made this year if only one person in each church made the decision each week. And you might say, well, what if the church only has 10 people? Well, those 10 people could have a revival, amen? Before long, those 10 people would be inviting others to come to their church because they would know the pastor or the local elder or the layperson who's preaching that Sabbath is going to be making an appeal for Christ. And you know, if a person makes their first decision for salvation in an Adventist church, how much greater the possibility that they will make a decision for the Sabbath and the state of the dead in the true church and everything else we believe because they'll say, you folks brought me to Christ. Yeah. A woman came up to me yesterday, met her 30 years ago. She said, you will always have a special place in my heart because you were my first Seventh day Adventist pastor. Special place. She was learning the gospel as a brand new Seventh day Adventist while I was there past Well, we were serving as minister there. A very quick question I want to give my appeal before we close.
1: is it a kind of like a gray area to compare our church to a Sunday church zone? Or try to do with our church what other Sunday churches are doing? Um
0: some of the Sunday churches are probably ahead of us well, in what they're Sunday doing.
1: I've seen, uh, they, they they give these big things and, and they charge money for you to attend. Um, they did it with our church out in California. Mm-hmm. Our, our Sunday Adventist church uh, disappeared. Um, they, mm-hmm. they they started taking. They took the SDA out of our church, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of our members went over to the Sunday church, mm-hmm. um, and. uh it was, uh, they, they charge money, you go to this big thing, every, they're, they're calling people up, Do you give yourself to Christ and all this. But then when somebody came just because they wanted to praise God, their doors were closed and that person was not allowed in the house of God. Mm-hmm. Um, so well, I, I love it because they did not have name tag or they did not pay for the seminar. Yeah. But I feel anybody that wants to come into a church and wants to praise God and be there to learn about God, has that right to be there. Oh,
0: yeah. or not. oh no, definitely, no definitely, definitely. There, there's you're talking about manipulation, and there, there are some some things that are done by Sunday pastors. I would never, ever advise, obviously. That's obviously but there, i like
1: other comparisons
0: to other things as well. Um, I'm not. We can talk more after the class, but I just want to develop uh, within us a high caliber of ministry uplifting Jesus and the truths that we believe. I know a lot of people out there that are not Seventh-day Adventists, of course, that are true Christians and that love the Lord every bit as much as I do. But I would like to see them accept all the truth that I believe as well. And so, you know, we have a week here. We have five more meetings. And I I hope that you'll be able to make it back tomorrow. But I want to just leave you uh, here with a final comment from Spirit of Prophecy. The power at God's command is limitless and the minister who, you know, there's that chord there, and the minister who in his great need shuts himself in with the Lord may be assured that he will receive that which will be to his hearers a savor of life unto life. Acts of the Apostles 369. Well, just allow me to briefly go into a sample appeal. You can pretend, uh, if you would, that you're an audience. It can be Sabbath morning. You can look at yourself, who you are right now, or think of it as how a, uh, maybe a friend of yours who is not a member of the church would would feel. You may have heard this. There was a cell block. It's in Auschwitz to this very day, cell block 11. It talks about a Savior. Of all places, who would ever thought that you would find a Savior? In the story of a Savior, Jesus Christ In the cell block in Auschwitz. The Bible tells us that Jesus saved us by his own blood, that he gave his life for us. The book of Revelation says they overcame him, the devil, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. The message today is shared with us, this message on salvation, that we're saved by Jesus' blood, and he can wash us clean of any known sin in our life. We have a wonderful Savior, but it's a decision that we must make. The Lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus made a decision to die for you before this world was created. If there would ever be sin, we would have a Savior. Christ bled for us. The bleeding began in the Garden of Gethsemane, but His heart was always bleeding for us. The bleeding continued all the way through Calvary. Jesus Himself comes to us, and he asked the question, Will you follow me? as he asked the question of his disciples. In Auschwitz, there was an unknown prisoner who showed their faith in Christ, sketched the face of Jesus on the cell block wall in that cell where they would, they would die at Auschwitz. And they drew the picture of a cross. And that unknown person who believed in Jesus was free, though they were in that cell. And you can be free tonight of anything that enslaves you. You can be free tonight to choose Jesus. He made that possible because he died for you on Calvary. And Calvary blood reaches you where you are. Calvary blood can reach you at a, in a cell block in Auschwitz. That was his testimony to prisoners around him. Calvary's blood can reach you in your point of despair. It can reach you and give you victory over the habit in your life. It can reach you and it can heal your family connections so that you love one another again. It can reach you and it can give you a love for Jesus. There's so many people in the world that need Christ. Tonight I need Jesus. Tonight you need Christ. We can be free in Jesus Christ and that Message in the cell block didn't just stop with the drawing of the face of Jesus and the cross of Christ, but he wrote out Jesus was here. Jesus was here. And everybody that goes through there and they can see that to this day, Jesus was here. Do you sense in your heart right now that Jesus is speaking to you? We have a card. And the ushers have given that out to you or the small group leader. And we're going to go through the card right now. And as I do, I I read the statements and people are invited to check on the card. uh, The response in each of these uh, four squares in in my case. And then I, I close with a prayer and I'll close with a prayer right now as we conclude this. Our father, we praise you for every decision For Jesus, we want to thank you that as we've signed these cards, as we've taken them in hand and as we've quietly noted for all of heaven to read, we we pray that your angels will take special note, that your Holy Spirit will take note of the decisions we made for Jesus in that person-to-person moment of time we've had this evening. I pray, Lord, that there have been many decisions for Christ tonight and that wherever we are in our life, we're not in a prison cell, but we may have felt like we're in a prison cell of our own making. We may have been struggling with something that only you and this individual tonight know. It may be a family problem. It may be some kind of habit that has us bound. It may be discouragement. It may be, Lord, that we're just weak in faith and we need more of your power. But we want to accept Christ as our Savior just now. I want to everybody, everybody in the sound of my voice to know that Jesus loves you, dear friend. There's hope for you in Christ. Do not despair. Do not give up. Keep on choosing to trust Jesus every day and he will lead you, he will guide you. Thank you, Father, for being with us. Thank you for this hour we've had just now. We pray for your blessing and bring us back tomorrow, I pray in Jesus' saving name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about
1: Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.
0: Dot audioverse.org